Great. Uh, and I'd love to invite Joseph up. Joseph is going to come and speak to us this evening. Can I pray for you, Joseph? No. Okay, bye. You. God, thank you so much uh, for Joseph. We just asked that um, you would fill him with your spirit now. Thank you for the, the words that you've given him um, to speak to us tonight. Um, I just pray that we'd all leave tonight having um, heard from you, having learned from you. Um, yeah, just with something to take away um, that, you, that, you've, that you've spoken to us about. Amen. Brilliant. Well, we're finishing our series this evening in Philippians. Uh, and this sort of passage comes towards the end of Paul's letter. And he's rounding out his book, encouraging this church. How do we keep going? How do we keep going in this faith that we've had? The letter's been pretty good. He's been pretty um, excited about what's happening uh, in Philippi. He's been really encouraging to the church. And now he's sort of giving his last bits of advice. How do we keep going? How do we keep on in the faith? It's a good reminder, I think, that, that we're following Jesus together in a world that often feels like it's going in the opposite direction to us. Life can be quite difficult. If you look at the news right now, the world's a bit of a mess. There's climate change, there's politics, there's money, there's mental health stuff, there's sickness, there's loneliness, there's doubts, there's conflicts, there's confusion. There's all these things which come at us and make living quite tough sometimes. And I think Paul's words here are a response to this, and I think they're really helpful to us. And I want to draw out three different things this evening that I think Paul is asking of us. He asks the church to stand firm, to be filled, and to focus upwards. And together, I think these things are kind of an antidote. Don't worry about that. We'll um, deal with that later. Um, and they, they're the things that give us the energy to keep going in the faith. So firstly, Paul tells the church, stand firm. And Paul, he's writing this sitting in a prison cell with Roman military guards around him. And the language of standing firm that he uses, it's the same sort of language that we see here in this letter, but also in the letter to the Ephesians, which was probably written at about the same time from the same prison cell. And so the idea of standing firm that we read here is also the same language that we get when Paul talks about standing firm with the armor of God on in, in the letter to the Ephesians. He's got this kind of military imagery in his mind. He's got these guards there in their uniforms. And you've probably all seen uh, movies where the Roman army is uh, fighting. They've got their big shields together, and they're in these very tight formations. Perhaps they're, they're marching forward in a line all together, or perhaps they're doing that sort of tortoise thing where they all bunch together. And the Romans, they had loads of these different formations for battle, but the key to all of them was unity. The soldiers weren't individuals out there on the battlefield doing their own thing. They're not sort of there to show their own heroic abilities. They're, they're together. They defended one another. They kept united in their formation, and that was their strength in battle. And so it's no surprise then that Paul follows up this idea of standing firm by talking to these two women who'd had a bit of a falling out. Yodia and Syntyche had had some sort of disagreement. We don't really know what it's about. It can't have been um, a massive issue because Paul doesn't sort of say, actually, you know, Yodia's right or whatever. It's not like he needs to come down on one side or the other. But there's some, some beef between these two co-workers in the gospel. And Paul wants them to sort it out. 
be of one mind in the Lord, he says. It seems like he's saying, look, whatever's going on between you, come together for the sake of what we're doing for Jesus. Whatever it is, it's not as important as the work of building the kingdom of God. Put your differences aside. And that makes sense. We need to be united to be able to stand firm, to be strong together. And it's the same for us, isn't it? In any group of people, it's easy to fall out, to find things that we disagree on. And it's absolutely fine to disagree with one another. It's actually pretty healthy to have a community of people with lots of different ideas and opinions. But what isn't healthy is if those disagreements turn into disunity. Different ideas and opinions are fine, but different factions are not, because we're supposed to be standing together. The problems that the church in Philippi were facing were different, I expect, to the ones that we face today. But the issue is the same. If we stand together, we're able to stand up to the troubles that life throws at us. We're able to stand together and do the work that God has called us to do. And so Paul asks, be of the same mind in the Lord. Perhaps their agreements are, disagreements are totally legitimate, but none of it is as important as establishing the citizenship of heaven that Paul is asking them to. When I was younger, um, I didn't get on with my little brother very well. Um, we used to get into fights all the time. Uh, there's a bit of a sort of record in our childhood home of the number of doors that we broke down over the years, trying to sort of get into rooms to, to find where the other one was hiding. And um, eventually, when I got to secondary school age, I went to boarding school. And, and one of the great things about this was that I wasn't with my little brother all the week. I got to live on my own. I could have my own identity uh, at school. Uh, and my little brother was left at home, no longer annoying me, which worked absolutely fine for a couple of years uh, until I was in year nine. And then my brother started at the same school. Uh, and so he came up, and he was boarding as well. And so suddenly, he was back in the house, annoying me again, but this time I was around my much cooler, far superior year nine friends, and uh, little brother annoying you is not cool at all. And so I, I was not happy that he was there. I didn't like it. Uh, it was very frustrating. But I remember one evening hearing that some of the other year sevens were sort of picking on my little brother, and suddenly everything switched. I got my year nine friends together, and we stormed down to the dorm. Uh, and I don't really remember what happened exactly. I just remember that there were the perpetrators were left uh, hanging on various hooks by their underwear. And it's it's not the most sort of mature response, not my most holy moment, not something I'm particularly proud of. But there's something in there, isn't there, that, that my family was really important, despite the fact that he was really annoying, and I didn't really like having him in the boarding house at all. When it came down to it, I wanted to stand up for my family. Family is really important, and this church is family. It might feel like some of the members of the church are your annoying little sibling, and it's a bit of a pain that they keep coming to stuff all the time, but we're family and we're in this together, and ultimately that bond is far stronger than any of those annoyances that we have to put up with. So my challenge for each of us is this. If there's someone who you find difficult, who you've got a bit of a disagreement with, if you just find someone a little bit irritating, be of the same mind in the Lord. Sort out the differences. Maybe you'll still disagree. Maybe you'll still have a different way of seeing things, and that's fine, but we need to be in this together. Life 
is tricky, and we've been given the task of building a radically different kingdom together. So let's sort out whatever squabbles need sorting out and stand firm together. Paul then goes on, and he says that we need to stand firm together. We also need to build this kingdom filled with the peace of God. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I'm not sure what I think about this bit. I'm not really keen on somebody telling me to rejoice. I, uh, I suffer from depression, and so my mood is, is often a bit up and down. And as I go through life, when I'm not feeling great, I really don't like being told to rejoice always. I sometimes don't feel like rejoicing, and I really don't want to be forced to feel like rejoicing when I'm not. And then I hear about the context of this passage that Paul was in prison, that he was suffering, that his situation wasn't your sort of classic rejoicing circumstance, and yet he was able to encourage this rejoicing. And I feel like that makes me even more grumpy because I sort of think, good for you, Paul, that you can rejoice when everything's tough, but that's not how I feel at all. Now, I realize that's perhaps not the most holy reading of this passage, but I wanted to be honest about it. I don't think Paul was talking about rejoicing in the sense of feeling happy, of of cheering up a bit when everything feels tough. He's not telling us to rejoice in the fact that things are rubbish. He's not really talking about his circumstances at all. And, And that's kind of the point. Paul asks the church to rejoice in the Lord. And he goes on to say the Lord is near. And then later on he says the peace of God is with you. Paul is not speaking about a rejoicing that that sort of doesn't recognize the things that are hard. Instead, he's asking the church to recognize the presence of God and to rejoice in that instead of the circumstances. He's not talking about a sort of nice, fuzzy feeling that God is here. He's not really speaking about emotions. Rejoicing, I think, has got something far deeper than emotion involved, deeper than feelings. He's not saying, cheer up a bit, be a bit happier. He's commanding us to intentionally recognize that the Lord is near, that God is with us, that we are loved by God. And that's something that's, that's just true. It might feel like it. It might not feel like it. We might be starving in prison. We might be on a lovely walk in the countryside. No matter what circumstances we are in, we are loved by God. And in that, we are able to rejoice. Now, when I'm feeling low, rejoicing isn't easy. It takes a lot of effort. I have to wrestle with myself, with my emotions, with my mood. But when I manage it, when I manage to remember that God is with me, that he loves me, I find that it gives me real peace. The more that I recognize his presence, the more that I'm filled with him, the more I sense his peace filling me, allowing me to keep going, even when the world feels like quite a hard place to be. It's an effort to rejoice sometimes, but it's, it's not about putting on a happy face. It's not about pretending that bad stuff doesn't happen. I'm sure Paul was very aware of his situation. 
but he also made himself aware that God was with him. And it can be really hard to do that. But I think it's also inextricably linked to the point before that we do this together, that we stand firm together. We help one another remember that God is with us. We help one another remember God's presence. And that's why we spend time each week praying for one another. When we come forward for prayer, it's not that our situation immediately gets sorted. I mean, sometimes it does, and that's incredible. But the key to what we're doing, really, when we pray for one another, is we're helping each other to recognize the presence of God in our situations. That's why we often encourage people not to use many words, not to try and sort of counsel one another and delve into the issues that we're facing. We simply come and say, come, Holy Spirit. We ask the presence of God to come. We ask that God would help the person know that he's with them. And the most common response I hear when I talk to people after I've prayed for them is that they feel more peaceful. Because I think that's what happens when we recognize God's presence. We receive the peace of God that passes beyond understanding. God's presence helps to put things into perspective. And it reminds us that we are loved and that he is carrying us. I heard the story of of a man who was walking down the road with this really large sack of potatoes on his shoulder. It was really heavy, got a sweat on his brow. It was really hard work. And a man pulled up alongside him in his pickup truck and he offered him a ride. And this chap climbed into the side of the car, but he kept this sack of potatoes on his shoulder. And after a while, the driver sort of said, why don't you you put that sack of potatoes down and, and you can relax? And the man replied, no, sir, it is enough that you give me a lift into town. I couldn't ask you to carry my potatoes as well. Now, that's obviously ridiculous. And yet, often I find myself doing that kind of thing. I'm trusting that God is carrying me, but I'm not always willing to put down the stuff that I'm carrying. He's already carrying me. Why would I not put down that baggage? When we recognize the presence of God, when we know we're loved by him, the most sensible thing we can do is is allow him to carry the stuff that we're carrying as well. Paul tells us, do not worry. All the stuff that you're holding on to, present it to God in prayer and petition. Give it to him. Allow him to carry it. Be filled with the presence of God. Allow him to carry you. And if he's carrying you, you might as well put your stuff down as well. So we need to stand firm together. We need to be filled with the peace of God. And finally, we need to focus upwards. Erica Fox is a lecturer in negotiation at Harvard, and uh, she says this, the most important negotiations we have every day are the ones we have with ourselves. The million inner decisions that we make each day are the ones which shape our lives in in those sort of minute, often boring activities that we do. It's those moment-by-moment decisions that shape us far more, actually, than the big ones that we make. They're decisions that allow us to navigate through whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. They shape how we spend our time, how we think, how we act in our relationships, and they affect our experience of the world. And I think what Paul is doing in these next words is is urging us to get those negotiations with ourselves right. 
He says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, it could be that Paul is putting across a message about the power of positive thinking. Just think about nice things, and despite the fact you're starving in prison, it will all be okay. And I think positivity can be really helpful, but it can also be really unhealthy if it traps us in a place where we're unable to express the reality of the difficulties that we face. And one of the things I really love about this church is that it is a place where it's okay not to be okay. When things are hard, it's okay to say that they're hard. And it sort of should be the case in in every church, but it's not always. And I think it's really valuable that this is a place where we can be real with one another. That if we're struggling, we don't have to bottle it up. We can come together as a family and share that stuff together. And so Paul, I think, is reminding us that it's about perspective. That in the context of knowing that whatever circumstance we're in, we're loved and held by God, we can actually take some action to make sure that we help ourselves to remember that. And if you're anything like me, you probably need constant reminding of how good God is. My brain seems to be like a sieve. I easily forget the truth of who he is. I easily return to doubt and to confusion. But there's some work that we can do. There's some practices that we can put in place that help us to remember. And I think Paul here is reminding us that we have some agency in shaping our inner life. We have the ability, it's not easy, but we have the ability to focus our thoughts, to make sure that our perspective is right. Because I don't think that this is just a list of nice, fluffy things to think about. I think what Paul is saying is that we need to focus on Jesus. He says whatever is true, well, Jesus tells us that that he is the truth. Whatever is right, Jesus tells us that he's the epitome of righteousness. Whatever is pure, he's the height of purity. All of these things, they point us towards Jesus. They lift our eyes from the stuff that's going on around us and up towards God. They refocus us, they reorient us on the goodness of who God is. And there's discipline involved. Our thought life is so easily taken over by the things that are constantly coming at us every day. But we can choose to put in place those things which help us to shift our perspectives upwards through things like prayer, through reading the scriptures, through meditation, through silence, through retreat. These are all things that help us to focus our minds in the direction of Jesus. It's not easy, and I'm I'm very aware of that in my own life, but the key is to have those tiny negotiations when we're deciding how to act, how to speak, how to spend our time. How are we going to focus ourselves on those things? And it's not some kind of purity test of how holy can I be? This isn't about policing ourselves. It's about making the kind of decisions every moment that help us feel closer to Jesus. I think I've heard this kind of passage in the past and felt like it's a bit kind of anti-fun. Should you really be watching Netflix or should you be thinking about something much higher, much more righteous than that? And I don't think that's what it's about. But it is asking us, what are the decisions we're going to make? Are we going to focus on Jesus. Sometimes Netflix and resting is going to be the best possible decision, the healthiest thing you can do to refresh and recover. But sometimes there are those moments where we think, 
actually, is this something that's going to focus me on Jesus? Is this something that's going to put my perspective in the right place? Is it something that's going to help me navigate through the things of life? It's not about a guilt trip, but it's a, a reminder, I think, of the power that our thoughts have. And it's helpful to remember that it's in these minute-by-minute minute small decisions. Is this me thinking of those good things? That's what's going to shape us moment-by-moment. Moment. Now, today uh, is St. David's Day. Uh, Deeth Dewi Sant, he's the patron saint of Wales, and he has this um, saying that he's famous for. Which uh, I'm sure you're all familiar with, uh, and you know translates, do ye the little things in life? Do ye the little things in life? And I think it's a really powerful saying for us as followers of Jesus. I think I often feel that my life is very ordinary. It's relatively dull most of the time. My faith journey is rarely saintly and heroic. And the reality, I think, is that most of us will not have callings that take us to great places of power and be worthy of generations of remembrance into the future. Sorry to, to perhaps break that to some of you. But the reality is that the, the kingdom of God is, is built mostly by nameless disciples, by nameless saints through history who don't do huge, extraordinary things, but they simply live lives devoted to Jesus, displaying his love. And in that kind of life, it's these little things, the small things the mo the, in every moment that shape us, our choice to focus upwards on Jesus, to allow his truth, his righteousness, his purity, his loveliness to shape us. It's the small things that we do and think and say that are the bulk of our discipleship. And I think that's what St. David was talking about. Do the little things. Use each moment of your life to reorient yourself, to focus on those things that are going to help you get closer to Jesus, that are going to help you keep going. So life can be hard sometimes. The things of life just keep coming at us. But standing firm with those around us, filled with the presence of God, we can make choices that focus us in the right direction. It's not easy, but it is something that we can put into practice and, and create helpful patterns of thought that help us rather than hinder us. Paul is really clear in this book that when we follow Jesus, we have new life. We have a new way of being in the world, and yet the circumstances of life aren't always easy. But there's this remedy, not something that's going to necessarily get us out of struggle or difficulty, not something that sweeps the reality of life under the rug either, but some really helpful ways that we can keep going as we follow Jesus. We stand firm, we do this together. We're of one mind. We allow the unity that we have in Jesus to win over the disagreements that we might have. We support one another. We're filled with the presence of God. We allow his peace to come into us, to carry us. And as he carries us, we let him carry our stuff as well. We give it to him in prayer. And we focus ourselves upwards, making those little decisions in the moment that point us towards Jesus every day. It's not an easy task, but it's things that I think help us to deal with life as it comes at us and keep us going on track towards Jesus, even when stuff is hard. Why don't we stand together uh, and we're going to pray.
Lord God, we thank you for the reality of your presence. That you're here with us. The God of peace is with us. And we thank you that whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, we can trust in you. Help us, Lord, to encourage one another, to support one another. Help us to keep coming back to be filled with your presence. And help us to make those decisions moment by moment to focus on you.